0: Ray, uh, you can't go wrong with Johnny Cash, right? <laughs> you never go wrong with Johnny Cash, and uh, I appreciate getting to be here today and, and share with you. Um, I met Daryl, I think it was about two years ago, I can't remember for sure. I, I sometimes can't remember what I had for breakfast, but um, by there, you can remember that or relate to that. Um, But I want to say that uh, we were at uh, Bloomington at a pastor's meeting, and that's where I first met met, uh, Daryl, and uh, found out that he was preaching over here, and and, uh, uh, found out that we had a common friend. Uh, How many people went to Martinsville High School, or know about Uh, how many people know Randy Wells? Uh, Man, I tell you, that's a great guy in my book, and uh, so we were talking about Randy, and uh, I worked for Fellowship Christian Athletes, and at the time I was covering all of Southern Indiana. Really, about anything south of Bloomington to the Ohio River, those 28 counties I was kind of helping with and getting people to volunteer. And uh, FCA works with it. We have a ton of volunteers. I don't know if any of you have ever been in FCA, know much about it, but but I think for about the last 20 years, Randy. Uh, Randy Wells has done the FCA at Martinsville, and he's just a great guy. And that's how I met him and, and got to know Randy. So that's partly why I'm here. And then, uh, secondly, I just want uh, to tell you that I do I do some speaking, but not a lot of preaching. So you guys, you know, you might be in for a I don't know. Just hang on, and see what you think. it might be good, it might be bad, and, but you know, it, we'll get through it, right? And, and I, I was telling Eddie, where where are you, Eddie? You're, Eddie, I was telling Eddie uh, sometimes how you get ready and you prepare for something, and then you change it. Well, how many of you ever heard of a guy uh, named Tim Tim Keller? Anybody know Tim Keller? Tanya, you raise your hand. Uh, if you ever have a chance, now I guess I shouldn't promote a Presbyterian in the in Christian church, okay? But if you ever get a chance to read some of his stuff, uh, I, he's a guy that you, you ever had a preacher or someone that. You read something, some passage, and this is what you thought about it. And then when he shares it, it's like, wow, I never, I never looked at it like that. Have you, ever, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's the kind of guy he is. Now, that's okay, but the problem is when you're sitting there on Friday and you think you know what you're going to talk about in this particular passage, and then you decide, well, I'm going to look at, see what Tim Keller says about it. That's not, that was a mistake on my part because he, he just totally blew my mind on what I was going to talk about and how I was going to share it. So on Friday, that's not really a good time. So I've kind of like been backpedaling the last two days and I think I've got what he says and what I say and, 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 I, and I think it's, it's, it's a real familiar passage, uh, 2 Kings 5, uh, 1 through 19, and I know that. We don't have it up there, and uh, I'm just going to share it with you, and if you want to look at it in your pew, pew Bible. Bef- one more thing before I start. Uh, I, I do work now with FCA, and I do more with Indiana University and at IU, and uh, work with coaches and athletes and, and students, and uh, we try to, to use the, the avenue of sports to share the gospel with kids. That's, that's basically what FCA is about. And uh, I don't know if you got any Purdue fans in here. Oh, it's going to be hard for him because I'm going to ask him to pray for some IU guys. Can you do that for me? Will that be, that might be a miracle, right? But, but there's some great things going on at Indiana University in the athletic department. Some of you may know Coach Allen, Tom Allen. Man, he is a fine Christian man, and he is trying to not only make a winning, winning football team, but he's also trying to make men that are winners Off the field men that will lead their families men that will know God and and just pray for that man and there's other people I could tell you about that have been coming to IU and it's really encouraging to see what's happening there Uh, we've got a lot of kids that that are learning about Christ they're following Christ and I would just ask that you would just keep them in your prayers especially coming up this fall because it's hard to believe but you know about a month we're going to be be back at school so uh, before I start into that, I just want to, what we're going to talk about today, uh, what the message is going to be about today, uh, it's 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19, and it's a story of Naaman. And I'm just going to read these first 19 verses, and uh, we'll, we'll get started here. And I probably ought to get out of Philippians and go to Second Kings, right? So here we go. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, and some people might say today that would be Syria. He was a uh, great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? I I think in... Just, I'll I'll throw this in, I think that's probably over a million dollars worth of stuff that he was taking with him. Uh, The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, now the king wasn't too excited about this because he says as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See Ali is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But here steps in Elijah. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him, sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over me in the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. I want you to kind of keep verse 13 in your mind before I read it here. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God he stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept the thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. And this next few verses is kind of interesting too. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Man, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? But, uh, but may the Lord give your servant for this one thing. When my mouth forgive, I'm sorry, may the, but the, may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow down there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And this is what Elijah says. Go in peace. I think that's pretty... There's a little lesson there. He didn't say stay here with me. Don't ever go into the church with Rimon. He said go in peace. I like that. Um, so... I think this is a great passage. I really like this passage, and like I said, I, that's what I was going to preach on, and, and then I read Tim Keller, and I, I've changed some things up, so, so bear with me if I stammer and stutter around here. But you know, it looks like Naaman has everything, right? His boss likes him. He's a mighty warrior. and he, he, he's the general of all the armies. He's wealthy, he has a servant. But, but what's the main thing? Does he need the Lord? Does he need God? Sure he does. What, what's standing out in his life? What's the problem in his life? Leprosy. Leprosy, right? And today we're going to kind of look at the steps of how someone, or how Naaman, and, and really how all mankind must come to God. We're going to look at these steps. There's about four steps that we're going to look at. And, and the first one is we must realize that we're not self-sufficient. That's kind of hard for us, right? Is it harder for men or women? I don't know. I try to do things. I think I can do it. Men, any of you guys ever try to do some plumbing and then you mess it up more than it was when you started and you wish you would have just called the plumber? Anybody? You got any plumbers in here? You make a living off of a guy like me, right? I try to, I try to fix it, but I can't. I mess it up more. And sometimes, I realize I'm not a self-sufficient plumber, okay? But in life, I want to tell you the truth. We, we try to get things right, right? We try to go to the right school, or we try to uh, get the right job, or we try to marry the right person, or we try to be successful, and we try to do all these things about us. But in the end, something's going to happen, right? Christ said... I think it's in uh, John 16. In this world you will what? You will have trouble. Is that, amen, somebody said. Is, is, that, is that a real reassuring verse? In this world you will have trouble. I mean, this is the creator of the world telling us this. But I think sometimes we as a church, we don't talk about that much. We kind of tell people, oh, come to the Lord and I, shouldn't, I, don't, I don't want to generalize it too much, but sometimes we think, well, if you just come to the Lord, everything's going to be okay in your life, right? And, and that's not really the case. And that's what Christ is saying. And, and here's a guy, named, Naaman, it looks like he's got everything going well for him, but he's got something that's, that's a problem. And, and we will, in our life, incur, we'll have problems. Right? So, so there should be no surprise there. So we should realize that we can't get this done by ourselves, that we, we need some help. Naaman, obviously, he wasn't going to cure his, his leprosy by himself, right? And the first chance that he heard about a place that he could go, he, he, he was ready to go and see if he could get it cured. See, I think a lot of times we see this with athletes. Um, I, I've had a lot of guys at IU, they'll come and they play football, and, and things are going well, they're starting, and they're looking good, and then, some, then, then what happens to them? They play Purdue. No, that, <laughs> Now, they have an injury, right? Something happens to them, they have an injury, and then what happens? Sometimes those injuries, they can't, they, they can't get over them. They're done. Their season's over. Their year's over. Their career's over, right? That's when you see that they realize, wow, I can't do this on my own. I'm not going go to I'm not gonna play pro football, or I'm not going to play pro baseball, or whatever. Whatever. I've got something that I can't handle. And I think that we, uh, as we get older, we realize that we're not self-sufficient. Now, there's also some things besides external factors that, that help us realize we're not self-sufficient. Now, I did get this right from Tim Keller, okay? I never thought of this, but um, if you were able to look back when you were 10 years old and, and look back thinking, uh, let's, let me back up, if you were 15 and you look back at 10, you would say, wow, I, I was, must have done some crazy things when I was 10, right? I did some stupid things, but now I'm 15. Like, man, I know everything now, right? Or what about, what about, what happens when you get to 20, and you look back and you say, wow, when I was 15, I, I wasn't too smart. I, I, but now I'm 20, I know everything. You see where I'm going with this? So then when we get to 30, we look back and say, well, how did I make it to 20? Oh, now I, I know stuff at 30, I know everything. My point is, it kind of slows down, but you get to 40 and you say, well, why did I know when I was 30, or you get to 50? But, but my point is, sometimes we realize we don't know a lot. And sometimes it, we, we, we discover this at different ages. But we realize that we're not going to make it on our own. We need somebody else. We haven't got it all figured out. And and believe you me, I'm standing here, and I won't tell you how old I am, but I ain't got it all figured out either, okay? It's a process, I believe. And and we need somebody. We need God. We need to have an encounter with God. So two things there. You you know, It's external factors, and it's also our internal factors that help us realize we need God. Now let's go on to the next one. I think this one is... uh, Pretty, pretty evident. We sometimes need to realize the world can't help us. I mean, I don't ever, I don't, I don't like to go to Barnes and Noble. I don't really like a lot of books, but I go in there every once in a while. They got more books in there, and what's their big section they got? Self-help. See, we, we're, we're enamored with that. You know, uh, wow, look, We got consultants. We've got medicine. We got therapy. We got experts for all our problems. And and I'm not saying this isn't by all means. That's that's good. Sometimes the world can help you, right? I had a hip replacement. I couldn't do that by myself. You can't find a book "Hip Replacement for Dummies," right? So you got to have some help on certain things, right? So I'm not. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all this is bad. But look at Naaman. Like I said, when he found out that there might be a cure in Israel, man, he was ready to go. He got the letter from the king. He got his treasure. He, he loaded up the, the truck, and they moved to Beverly. They went over there. He was ready to, he was ready to get healed, all right? So isn't Naaman saying that some of them, we say the same, times, same thing as Naaman? Hey, look, I, I've got these credentials. I've got this money. i got this stuff. I want the world to, I, I, you know, the world tells us, hey, if you've got enough money or you've got stuff, we, you, you can get what you want. But that, we know that's not really true, right? We need to see the limits on science. We need to see the limit on self-help books, therapy, consultants, and what they can do. If God is true, he cannot be bought. He cannot be manipulated by man. And if we are truly going to encounter God, we must see the world cannot help us. And we also must remember that we're not self sufficient. The third thing, and I think this is huge, and this is where we're going to spend a lot of time, is we must realize our problem is sin, not suffering. Well, wait a minute. If I got problems, it's a lot of it's suffering, isn't it? But he says, no, we must realize the problem is sin, not suffering. Name and suffering, right? Yeah, I didn't, we've all been in church, we know what leprosy is, right? Everybody pretty much, you know, it's a it's skin disease, it's terrible. And it actually rots your skin, and, and you start fall. Your, your fingers, appendages fall off. So he's really, literally falling apart. And the king of Israel can't help him, right? The king says, man, why, why are you here? I, I can't help you. But Elijah can help him. And Elijah says, send him to me, and he will know there is a healer in Israel. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. Did he say, send them to me, and he will know that there's a miracle worker in, the, in Israel? No, he didn't say that. What did he say? Send them to me, and he will know there's what? A prophet. And what does the prophet do? He tells you the truth. So he's going to get the truth if he goes to Elijah. And, and, and this is important because we'll talk about how Naaman encountered God but for now, what did he do after he encountered God? After he was healed, you, I, I'm not sure what verse it is, but what did he do after he, after he was healed? Do you say, well, your God can heal? Or your, your God is better than the ones we got over at home in ram"? Is that what he said? In verse 15, he said, and, and remember, this, this is coming from a pagan, this is coming from a, a, a guy that's not a Jew, but this is what he said. Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Wow, that's pretty pretty amazing, isn't he? Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Yeah, he got healed, but he got something else. He got faith. He encountered God. And when you have that encounter, you're you're going to be different. Uh, And it's really kind of remarkable how Naaman got to that point. He shows up at uh, Elijah's I think it says right right there at his door of his house, right? Pulls right up there with all of his stuff. I'm sure back then that to haul all that stuff, he had to have a lot of camels and a lot of servants. And Elijah doesn't even come out of the house. Can you imagine if the president, and I'm, I don't want to get too political, you pick your president, whoever you like, but if he pulled up to your house with all his entourage, how many of you would be out there Man, I want my arm around him to take a picture of this. Right? We all like that photo op. Elijah doesn't even come out of the house. (laughs) He says, here, he sends somebody out and says, here's what you need to do. How do you think that made Naaman feel? And the the message he gives him is pretty simple, too. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Doesn't come out of the house, tell somebody to go out and, and, and... sends somebody out and says, you go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. And Naaman goes off in a rage. He's angry. I think he was obviously insulted. And this this is interesting. In verse 13 it says, Naaman's servant said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? And and there's another translation. I want want you to keep this in the back of your mind. Uh, And it's kind of confusing, but it also says, there's a translation that says, he is asking you to do a great thing. Now that, just keep that in mind, but uh, I think it's kind of interesting that these guys, these servants cared enough about Naaman to give him advice. Uh, Could they have just said, hey, okay, if you don't want to listen to this guy, let's just all go, you know, saddle back up and let's go home. But I think that they must have loved Naaman or at least respected him enough to say, hey, shouldn't you at least try to do what this guy said? And I think there's a little lesson for us there sometimes. Uh, sometimes we don't take advice, and maybe sometimes we should help give advice. But how, how many times, somebody, you know what, if that guy wants to be a, a jerk or if that guy wants to do this or if this lady wants, just go let him. But if we know better, maybe we should step in and give them some advice. And that's what they were doing right now, right? Uh, so let's go back to our discussion. He's insulted. Maybe he thought Elijah would come out. He didn't. And, you know, he didn't recognize that, hey, I, I'm naming. I'm a powerful, important guy. I'm the commander of Iran. And maybe he was thinking he could do something for, for uh, Elijah. Maybe he, maybe he thought that Elijah might say, hey, you know, you're, you're a powerful warrior. Why don't you go overthrow a country and come back and give me the spoils? Or, or maybe there was an enemy that, that Elijah had, and maybe Naaman could have gone and, and took care of him, wiped him out. Or maybe even, this is the first time we mentioned the lady, and we're going to talk to her. Maybe even you could, uh, he would ask me for my servant girl, and I'll give her, give her back. But the point is, Naaman thought that maybe Elijah would ask him for something. I mean, obviously, he brought all that stuff with him. He thought maybe that would be enough to give him the healing. I'll bring all this stuff to Elijah, and and maybe he will heal me. But see, Naaman, if Naaman could do any of these things, he would probably feel like he was earning his healing. And Elijah would owe it to him. See, The key thing is Naaman wanted to be a part of the process. But Elijah is teaching him, and he's showing him something new. He's going to heal him, but he's going to challenge him in the way that he thinks about what's right and what's wrong. He's going to challenge him in how he thinks about greatness and humility. Elijah is saying, go down and wash. And you know why Naaman is insulted? He's he's insulted because he's saying, look who I am. Anybody can go down and wash. Old men, old women, children, anybody can go wash. Are you trying to tell me I'm equal to everybody else? I think that's really what what Naaman's getting at. And isn't that really what the gospel's all about? Aren't we all equal? Let's, Let's talk a little bit about it. We've all sinned. Everyone, rich, poor, sick, healthy, wise or dumb, young or old, male or female, Anyone can come to the Lord, right? John three sixteen verse we all know by heart, right? What does it say in there? There's one verse, one word that means we're it's op- that Christ is open to everybody. Whosoever, right? Whoever, whosoever will what? Believe, call on Him. Whosoever. Now I, I get a little upset because I think sometimes the public or press or people say, well, Christianity, man, that, that's a, such a, that's not, very, that's not a very inclusive religion. It's exclusive. Who is whosoever? What does whosoever mean? Everybody. Purdue fans. Everybody. That whosoever, man, that's as inclusive as it gets. But Naaman felt like he was maybe a little bit better than somebody else. I, you know, but but we, we see that. It's, it's whosoever. And then thirdly, you guys know this, we cannot earn our salvation. We can't do enough good works. And I think sometimes we think, maybe it's in sports, but I, you know I think there's sometimes we think, well, there's a big scoreboard up there in heaven. And it's got Andy's name on it, or it's got Dean's name on it, or it's got Eddie, it's got Ruth, who... And there's a scoreboard, and on the right's good stuff I've done, and on the left, they're giving me points for bad. And if I can just get enough good points at the end, outweigh the bad, I'm in. That's not how it works. But do you ever get that sometimes? I think we, we, we think that, and we know sometimes and uh, people in the world think that, but that's not, there's no scoreboard up there. It, it's, it's not the way it works is showing Naaman the way to receive God's grace is just like everyone else does. It's not about doing great things for the Lord. It's about going down and washing, <clears throat> being obedient, just like everyone else. That's, that's what he's showing him. And remember when we talked about that second translation? I asked you to kind of keep that in your mind, uh, that it could be translated. He is asking you to do a great thing. Well, really, Elisha was asking him to do a great thing. Because one of the hardest things to admit is that there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. I'm going to read that again because I, when I first read that, I kind of struggled with that. But because one of the hardest things to admit is, there, is that there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's a gift, right? Ephesians 2.8. We know, we know what that says. For it is by grace you have been saved through Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, Naaman really did do a great thing because he's realizing it's not about his works, it's not about his deeds, it's not about who he is. It's about an encounter with God and having faith in him. And when we have these encounters and when we accept God as our, and accept Christ as our Savior, we are different after we have that encounter. And, and we see that difference in Naaman. For example, Naaman looks at God with a new world view. Remember he said, and again I've, oh, I've said this a couple of times, now there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Please so come coming to the real, there's one God, he's coming to that realization. He has a new mindset about what is true. And second, when he went over there, he, he came to pay for it. He intended to pay for his healing, right? But what does he say in verse 15? Please accept now a gift from your servant. So he's not trying to buy something, but he wants to give a gift because of what Elijah has done for him. Uh, and I think it's kind of remarkable that he used the word servant. I don't know how often he considers himself a servant, but that's the word he uses there. Um, and I really think when we have an encounter with God, we look at money. Differently. What, what's the world? How's the world look at money? Well, if you got money, you got power. Like I said earlier, you can buy about any, anything you need. And, and, and some people think money is security, right? But this really, is, as people and followers of God, what what can we have? You know, if you're a believer and you know that you're saved and you're going to heaven, what what, what Put a dollar amount on that. You can't, can you? I mean, seriously. If, if you were given everything, everything in this world versus heaven, what would you take? See, see, we're going to leave this world, man. You might be happy for, I don't know, however old, you know, whenever you got everything, however much longer you lived, but that's a flash. That's, psh, our life is a drop in the bucket. But heaven, that's, we can't even wrap our, can you wrap your mind around heaven? Think about that for a second. No beginning, no end. I think in heaven, my wife will get mad at me, but I still like, I might even like a Purdue fan after I've been there a million years. (laughs) I think after, you you know, some people say, well, I have to get to heaven, I'm going to learn all the things I messed up on. You know what, you're not going to, You have a rat's hind end about what happened on earth. I don't think you are. Maybe, you know, some people say, well, I'll understand. Maybe I'll understand what happened back there in 1996 in my family. Why did that go south? You might, maybe after 10 million years, want to know about it. But I think when we're in heaven, it's going to be so great that we don't, we're, we're not going to worry about those things. And I don't think you can put a price on that. And I think that's, man, I think that's something we should get charged up about every day. I don't think we talk about heaven enough. I don't think we think about that enough. But I think that that's something that, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to. uh, Maybe as I get older, you know, say, hey, that's that's what it's about. Uh, And then the third thing here that I think is really interesting about Naaman is he was worried about how he would perform his job when he got back home. Isn't that kind of interesting? He says, uh, hey, uh, I want you to forgive me when I go into the temple and I'm helping my master down and and he's kneeling down and I'm going to be kneeling with him, but forgive me for that. You guys find that kind of, uh, man, I mean, this guy's changed. I I find that very, uh, man, I I just how he he did that because uh, he was worried about that. He asked him, forgive me for that because that's going to happen. So the point is, when God's a part of our life, He becomes a part of our everything. You know, sometimes we're very good, and maybe this is—I uh, know that I'm kind of good. I can part-millennialize. Okay, here's church, here's work, here's my family, uh, here's what some stuff I like to do that I don't want any other people to know. Like I like to do. <laughs> right? We we put things in compartments, but we we really need to have God in everything we do. He should be a part of everything we do, and that. And that's, that's what uh, Naaman's considering here when he goes back home. Uh, now, I, you know, you, we're almost done here. Some of you be glad. Uh, but we're, we've talked for a long time, and we really haven't talked about much about that servant girl, have we? We really haven't brought her up much. There's no story, there's no healing without her, right? If she hadn't told her mistress hey, I wish the master would go see this guy over in Israel. He could be healed. There would be no story here, right? And this, I think, is really, maybe for some people, this is what the message is all going to be about. Um, Let's look a little bit about her, okay? Uh, She is a young girl that she got into Naaman's household because uh, there was a raiding party. They were, uh, there was really peace kind of between Aram and Israel, but there would be times when they would just, Syria or Aram would go over into Israel and just kind of raid them and bring some people back. And, and this is how she was brought into the master's house there, brought into Naaman's house. And possibly she saw her parents killed, maybe. Maybe she saw her parents killed. But she was taken from her home. She was taken from her home country and brought to Naaman. Um, I, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could, you know, how, how would you feel? Would you be wanting to help Naaman after he'd done that stuff to you? You know, I, I can get, I can pretty easily justify my feelings of anger when I felt someone's done me wrong. My wife knows that. I, I, I take that out sometimes when I drive, right? That guy shouldn't have done that. Whatever. Shouldn't shouldn't this girl, didn't she have the right to hate him? Shouldn't she have delighted in the fact that he had leprosy? Hey, that serves him well. What he's done for me, he should have leprosy. Uh, Yes, she knew where help was, but she wasn't going to tell him. Wouldn't that be our logical response? Why do I want to help him out? But not for her. Not for her. She wanted him healed. And how on earth could she feel that way? Three words. She forgave him. She forgave him. Um, Tim Keller writes, and I'm just going to read this quote to you right here. uh, This is what he says about it. She forgave him, and I don't want you to think that forgiveness, real forgiveness of a real flagrant wrongdoing I mean, sometimes somebody hurts you. Maybe somebody says something that hurts you, and you say, okay, I forgive you. No, we're talking about something else here. If someone has wronged you the way Naaman has wronged this little girl, the only possible way to forgive is through a kind of suffering. Now, I'm going to stop here a minute, because I was reading last week in Philippians 3, and I came across probably a passage you're familiar with, Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now that verse kind of stopped me, because I, I want to know Christ, and I want to know about the power of his resurrection, but i do not sure I want to sign up for the suffering part. I'm not sure I want to sign up for that. And then I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, wow, this, this is what this girl's doing. And uh, I, I, I read a quote from Rick Warren. Now I don't know if you can, if it's, a, any English teachers out here? I don't know if it's legal if you can read a quote and then bring another quote in while you're in, but here we go. Um, this is what Rick Warren said. The deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of pain, thanking God during the trial, surrendering while suffering, and loving him when he seems distant. Man, I think that's that servant girl. Isn't that what she's doing? The deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of pain, thanking God during his trial, surrendering while suffering, and loving him when he seems distanced. Um, So shouldn't I be willing to to suffer a little, bear the cost of forgiving someone? If she could do that, can't we learn from her? Um, I'll go back to the original quote. If someone has wronged you the way Naaman has wronged this little girl, the only possible way to forgive is through a kind of suffering. It would be very costly. See, if she makes him pay for his sin, she kills him, essentially by withholding the information that could save his life. But if she's not withholding the information, if she's telling him, if she's actually urging him to go, that means she must have done the very painful, costly work of forgiving. Because, see... Forgiveness is always costly. If someone wrongs you, you can either make them pay back by hurting their reputation, scratching their eyes out, or telling other people what they did wrong. You can make their lives miserable until it's about how much they made your life miserable and you've extracted the payment. Right? So one of the things you can do if someone wrongs you is you can make them pay or you can forgive. But when you forgive... What that really means is you pay. It hurts. It's costly. It's difficult. Every time you want to scratch your eyes out, you say no. So you can either make the, bear the cost of the wrong they've done, or you can bear the cost because forgiveness is always very costly. Now I'm going to have uh, Ray, you guys want to come up because we're going to wind this up here in a second. Um, the servant girl pays the cost to forgive Naaman. Isn't it interesting the Bible doesn't even give us her name? But she must go down in history as probably one of the most forgiving persons, one of the best examples of of forgiveness in, in the whole scriptures. She's a suffering servant who forgives someone of doing wrong, and by that forgiveness she saves Naaman and brings him to faith. And she brings him to Christ. And shouldn't we all be willing to suffer if we can bring someone to Christ? I want to close with this prayer and this is actually the prayer that, that uh, Tim Keller said when he preached it. He preached this sermon. If you want to look this sermon up and uh, he preached this sermon in Jackson, Mississippi on November the 12th. Uh, I think it was at First Presbyterian Church. But I, I just want to close with his prayer. And thank you guys for, for being with us today. Um, our Father, we want to encounter you. I pray that for those of us who do know you personally you would help us to look at that little slave girl and say we want to pay the price of usefulness we want to not to be bitter about bad things that have happened we want to reach out to others even people perhaps who have wronged us and love them we want to be patient in our suffering and find ways to glorify you in our suffering for those of us who have not really come to know you Help us to get over our self-sufficiency. Help us to see that we need not just relief from suffering, but for forgiveness of our sins. Help us to know that the world can never help us and change us by doing the greatest deed, which is to admit that there is no great deed that will earn our salvation, and we have to be saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, if you would like to make a decision for Christ or perhaps follow him in baptism, you know, please come now as we sing this song or talk to me or one of the elders after the service. But uh, i turn it over to you there, Ray.